ever been in a tough spot where you know you need help, but your pride says, absolutely not. And today's guest, Lorraine, was also within that predicament. All the details to come, so keep on listening. You did it. You have found your judgment-free zone, the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a bilingual podcast for women who want to become reinas of their money and love their dinero more. I am your host, Jen Hemphill, a former extreme frugalist turned reina of your money advocate. Each week, I'm going to help you reign your money like that queen that you are with inspiring interviews and panel discussions from La Comunidad Latina and with solo episodes sharing simple, actionable tips and strategies. Thanks for spending some time with me today. And now let's jump into today's Dose of Money Confidence. Hola, hola. How is it going? This is Jen Hempel, your host. And hoy tenemos una mujer maravillosa. And I cannot wait for you to meet her. Let me tell you a little bit about Lorraine Laddish. She is a 21st century communicator helping empower women to become the best version of themselves. She's the founder of Viva 50, a bilingual community that celebrates midlife and encourages people of all ages to embrace the passage of time. A content creator, writer, brand spokesperson, and an RYT-500 certified yoga teacher, Lorraine embodies and promotes wellness, sound mind, body, and spirit, as well as a healthy, joyful living. In today's episode, you're going to learn what the Spanish Civil War, yes, the Spanish Civil War had to do with her money story, as well as the spur of events that led to her finding herself a single mom and on welfare, and the lessons she learned from the 2008 recession, as well as why she won't wear gold jewelry ever again. Lista, you ready? Let's go and meet this reina of her money. Bienvenida, Lorraine. I am so thrilled to have you here on the podcast. I'm excited very much. Awesome. Well, let's get started with your money story. So let's go back to when you were a child, to your upbringing. How did you grow up? What did you hear, see, experience when it comes to money? So that's very interesting. It's I talk about it with my kids now. I was born in Spain. But then my family moved to the States. My dad's from Spain. My mother's American. And I found myself back in Spain at the age of five when my parents divorced. And I was basically raised by my abuelita, my grandmother. She had survived the Spanish Civil War. So that marked my childhood a lot. And I remember that she would turn, for example, when our shoes didn't fit anymore, she would use a razor and make them into sandals. It doesn't end there. She would buy us tights, como leotardos, you know, made of uh, wool, para el invierno. And when they were too small or we had holes in them, then she would cut them and they became socks and underwear and things like that. So, but this, I was a little, at first, I think there were moments when I didn't really think of it. I just thought, oh, well, now now is the time that we're going to, you know, wear our shoes, like cut in the front and that's that. But when I talk about this to my dad, he says, we weren't that bad. It was just that she had that mentality of stretching everything to the maximum 
so that we never had extra clothes. Like I wore the same clothes that I used to go to school where we had a uniform. My dad paid a lot of money to take my sister and me to a bilingual school. That's why I am bilingual. But all my friends, you know, some of them were daughters and sons of diplomats and they had maids at home. I had none of that. So for me, it was a little embarrassing when kids saw me outside of school and I was wearing the school coat, the uniform coat. I was like, I espero que no me vean. You know, I really feel, I hope they don't see me. And it was a little bit, um, yeah, perhaps because I was not going to school with people who were like me. And I felt like, why don't I have extra clothes? Why are my shoes cut like that? (laughs) And when I was, so then my father had his, and my grandfather had their own business. They had language schools and they were always obsessed when it came September, when enrollments came around and they were like, oh, I hope enough students sign up. And there's so many students and no sé cuántos students. And that would always be like, oh my goodness, I, I will never have a business. That's what I said. That's what I said. And I ended up working for myself. But I did not, I hated that feeling of thinking, wow, you know, what, what's, oh my goodness. Oh, and then of course, that's the generation that had zero issue talking about whatever in front of the children. So I heard all kinds of things, you know, and if the bill couldn't be paid or whatever, then I would, I would know. And nobody shielded us from absolutely anything. And I don't know how I feel about that. It's to this day, I have conversations with my dad, who's now 81. My grandmother passed away a year and a half ago at 101 and a half. And Sissy, (laughs) she, she was a strong woman. And so the thing is, again, interesting when I tell my dad about all these things and my, my memories, and he's like, yeah, we were never that bad. We always made it. We had food on the table. There was not an issue of not really not paying a bill. But the whole idea that my grandmother dealt with things a certain way created that feeling in me of there's not enough. There's not enough. And I want there to be enough. But that also colored my life in a way where I have felt that I never had a great relationship with money because nobody taught me how to save. However, nobody taught me about credit cards. Also because credit cards, uh, for example, were not something that my grandmother never had a credit card. I think my dad was the first person who started having credit cards. My abuelo always carried cash, like a thing of cash like this with elastic bands. Yeah, and if we, he wanted to give us money, he would pull it out. <laughs> like, whoa. He would leave it in the house and it caía del, del, del bolsillo. And so, yeah, I did not feel that I was in any way prepared. I started making money early, though, because my dad, in Spain, people do not work until, like in the States, you work when you're young. My daughters, my eldest, started working at 15 or 16 as a babysitter. In Spain, that's not a tradition in the least. If you're a waiter, you're born a waiter and you die a waiter, at least that was the way it was until recently. But my dad, having had a language school or having a language school, he made me teach English and I hated it. But looking back, it also allowed me to make money early and to manage my own money early, even though nobody taught me how to manage it. But And I think they didn't teach me like not in a mean way. It's just that they they were not taught themselves. You know, they were just surviving. Right. That is so interesting. And I, I have heard about the shoes and really, off, but I've always heard it in terms of shave it and also you could, so it's not kind of lopsided, you know, cause they, the way you walk or just making sure that it's more usable. I haven't used the bottom of the shoe. No, no. She, she did the top. 
That is a noted out sandal. And then I have heard, I mean, the tights make socks, but I hadn't thought about the underwear. That, that's interesting. And it's interesting hearing you talk about that because it sounds like with your dad having a business, he, he may not have directly taught you about money in terms of how to save, but he did instill some skills in you, it sounds like from what I'm hearing. Uh, just early on about making money, right? And the things that you can do with making money. And I, I think that may have led to later to what you're doing today. Well, we'll see. <laughs> but thank you so much for sharing that. Now, let's fast forward to 2008. 2008, we hit a recession. So talk to us about what happened with you. What was going on with you back in 2008? Okay, so first of all, I wanted to clarify that I have always worked for myself. That is, I think, something important to to say that I never worked for a corporation and then got laid off or any of that. I always had a very, very strong dislike of having a regular job for what I don't know why. I just couldn't even, I just couldn't even, I tried. I tried going to an office, but just the fact, even if I love the industry, like editing or, or advertising, I didn't last a week. And so... And they didn't understand it because they were like, you're good at what you do. So anyway, I need to qualify that or say that because it, it leads to why what happened afterwards. So, but that gave me mad skills because I would do anything. I was capable of anything not to go to an office, which means that I was able to make a living always with whatever. Like I was bilingual, so I became a translator and a good one and an interpreter and learned how to work with words. And then, you know, always wanted to be a communicator. And I pulled it off before the internet. I telecommuted before the internet. So then in 2004, I had moved from Spain, which is where I lived. And I lived with my ex-husband and we had two children in Sevilla in Spain. And he's also like me, bilingual, bicultural, so we, he had a job offer in Florida where I had never been in my life. My other grandmother used to vacation in Florida. He got a job offer. I was the one who worked for myself, who I could, you know, work from anywhere, whatever. I have always said, okay, let's move through this to, you know, whoever I was with at that time, which might have or not been a good decision. But anyway, the point is that I find myself at 41 in Florida with two babies, really. I had kids late. So one kid was three years old and the other one was four months old. And here I am in Florida, no family, except actually I had a sister back then in Miami. Other than that, and nobody that I really knew, no connections, I leave everything behind. And my then husband starts his job. Very shortly after, he gets laid off. And then I realize, wow, I'm really going to have to hustle, even with the babies or whatever. And in, in a very record time, really, I found work with the Palm Beach Post as a writer and start translating for publishers. And, you know, my ex-husband gets a different job. We moved to Naples, Florida, and um, he, he's doing great. I'm doing great. And then, boom. Well, it, our marriage was not doing great. I also have to say that. Before we moved from Spain, we're already not okay. But I, having come from a relatively traumatic divorce, I wanted, of course, I wanted to work. And so I tried absolutely everything from therapy to, you know, trial separations, seminars, you name it. We, I have that peace of mind. I tried everything. But then when the recession hits and we both have no source of income because I didn't have a job, but I've always had regular, you know, gigs and all my gigs dried up. He didn't have a job. And, you know, that exacerbated the 
feeling of, wow, we really have nothing. Our marriage cannot stand on this. I mean, let alone it couldn't endure the good times. It's not going to endure really bad times. So one day I found myself realizing that I had nothing left to lose more because I had maxed out my credit so that we could still live. I didn't want my kids to think we didn't have enough or and so I did at that moment what I thought, which now I realize was maybe a big mistake. But at the moment, it was like, how can I maintain a sense of normalcy, right? And so I maxed out my credit. We didn't have any savings anymore. We had nothing, no source of income. And one day I realized, you know, I am not teaching my girls anything good by staying in this way. We're going to have to move to some little tiny apartment and we're not going to be okay as a couple, as parents or anything. And with the help of family in Spain, who, of course, told me, come back, come back. And I was like, look, I'm middle-aged. How am I going to get a job there? The recession wasn't just in the States. It was everywhere. And by then, I was doing, I don't like it, but I was doing direct selling, something I disliked tremendously. But I was selling jewelry, of all things, because I would wear it. And people would ask me, you know, what is, what are you wearing? And then it was relatively easy to sell. And it wasn't a living, but it was something. But it was hard because even with the help of family, where we, I moved into a very small apartment with my two girls close to my ex so they could see their father, he really couldn't give me any money, even if he wanted to, because he was not in a position to do it either. So being in that position, it was not the first time in my life where I had found myself starting over, but it was the first time where I was a mother and I had two young people depending on me. And that was that was a, a game changer in every possible way. You know, it was, I, I could not dwell. I could not fall into a depression and stay in bed. I could not feel too sorry for myself other than, you know, once in a while I did, of course. And then I realized that, well, I had to find it, that job I hated. You know, I, I'm like, what am I going to do? So I applied for all kinds of things from even cleaning houses to being a server, whatever. But of course, I had no experience. So what do you do if for your entire life, you've been successful in doing what you wanted to do and living life in your own terms? And suddenly you find, wow, now what? I have zero skills in anything else other than writing and communicating. And so while I was turned away from absolutely everything I applied for, I mean, there were people, because I was overqualified as well, you know, there were probably they're going to hire someone else that they know is going to stay. Plus, where would I leave the girls? And who would I pay to babysit if I left the house, right? And so I found myself in such dire circumstances that while I was explaining to a friend that just in a normal way, kind of know that, well, you know, the kids would go have dinner at the neighbor's house because she invited them, but then only to find out that it was because they told her we had no food in the house. And so I felt, wow, how embarrassing, you know. And so then a friend of mine, uh, he said, well, why don't you apply for food stamps? And I was like, what do you mean? That's for poor people. And then suddenly I realized, what the heck? I am poor. I am by all definitions. I hardly have an income. My family is helping me to pay for the rent. And we can barely make it. And so things like that, you know, I did apply for the food stamps. I did get them. And only for the girls, though, because I would have to involve their dad if and he couldn't really, as I said, he didn't have the means either. So I just got got it for the girls. But the the girls still remember the day they were four and seven. And they remember the day that we went shopping 
And then I said, yes, you can get your cereal. And yes, you can get that piece of chocolate. Because for months, we hadn't been able to do that. And it felt like Christmas. And then another thing that I realized is when you have children, especially that pride of, oh, no, I cannot accept help has to go out the window because you have to feed them. You have to be there for them. But if you're not there for yourself, you can't be there for them either. And one thing that I experienced during that very, very hard time was the goodness of people, like the people at the school. It, which it was a public school, they knew of my situation. And they asked me if I wanted to be in the charity list for Christmas. And I said, yes, I wasn't going to say no, you know, it was for my kids. And I will never forget the day that the, the people came to our house, the volunteers and gave us a little card for Christmas dinner. And they gave the girls gifts and just the whole thing. I cried. Another friend acquaintance gave me uh, two sets of wedding rings and engagement rings of her two failed marriages for me to sell to pay the rent. Wow. Because I, I told her that I had had to sell all my family's jewelry. It was the only thing I had from Spain for my family was things that they had given me for when my kids were born or my, my own wedding ring, you know, just things that meant something, a, a ring that my grandfather was wearing when he died. And things that meant something to me, they weren't just like how much they cost, but they, they were worth nothing, really, barely enough to pay the rent, right? But that was so heartrending that then I told myself, you know what, I, I was never like a very materialistic person, but now I'm even less so. It's like, I will never wear gold again. I won't. It's just like a statement, you know, because uh, even my wedding ring and my, I'm not wearing it right now, but my engagement ring is silver the second time I married because I just, I could not see myself spending a ridiculous amount of money on a ring. Like for what? Like if you go to sell it, if you need to, it's barely going to pay anything. So I thought, you know. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. I'm never going to do that again. So I learned a lot of things. Um, and then because I have always had this crazy desire to take care of myself. I've dealt with mental health issues like depression, anxiety, eating disorders all my life. I've always used physical exercise to deal with it, medication and therapy as well. But I rely heavily on physical exercise, dance, running, yoga, anything, right? And in that moment, when I was a single mom with no money, I stayed afloat because I went to dance classes on Fridays. And I brought the girls with me. And it was a little bit of money, but it was also a lifeline. And in the moment that I was dancing, I forgot everything. But also, I made connections. And then Facebook was starting. And somebody, you know, we all became friends on Facebook. And so this guy who was a young entrepreneur, he saw my page on Facebook and said, hey, I saw you're a writer. Yes, I am. Well, I need somebody to write things for my website. And I, I was happy thinking it was some great thing and it was some coupon blogs that he paid me peanuts for but it was writing and it was online and that was the beginning of an entire successful lucrative career as a communicator on the internet and what year was this around that was online it was very fast it was like it was almost in in record time that was 2009 was when this person asked me that and that triggered me thinking, oh, look at this. So I'm writing online. Then he said they have to be SEO friendly, the blogs. I had no idea what that meant. But I figured it out. And, you know, and then one thing led to another. And I was like, wait a minute. 
I'm barking up the wrong tree. I'm not supposed to be looking for a different kind of job. I can take my skills somewhere else. And that's where the money is right now. That's where the business is right now. And I enjoy it. So when I went that way, the comeback was pretty fast. It was under a year. I was already making more money than I have ever made doing what I do. And I have to say that even, and I'm super crossing my fingers, although I'm ready for whatever happens, and we'll talk about that when you ask me about today, but still to this day, I make a living being a communicator. That is amazing. So you went from some rough times where you had to set your pride aside to asking for help, right? Asking for help from in the community to applying for food stamps and realizing that that was just to help your family. And I think, and tell me if this is what you're experiencing, but I think, uh, because you mentioned food stamps is for the poor, right? And I think that's what we tend to think about food stamps, but really it's just a program to help you get you back up, uh, pick you up. But unfortunately, it's been taken advantage of where people use it and then reuse it and reuse it and reuse it where that's not the intention, right? And you also mentioned um, and talking about some of the lessons that you took away when it comes to money. I know you mentioned about not buying gold and not buying and spending a lot on jewelry because you had the experience of selling your family's jewelry and didn't get much of what you thought it was worth, right? Or what maybe it was worth. What other lessons do you feel that or financial lessons do you feel that you learned? Well, I think that uh, basically not to be ashamed of going through a tough time because I feel that we, and this is something I've had to deal with now thinking, what if, what if I go back to square one? You know, what if everything comes to a halt and how would I deal with it today with ego wise, really? And I was thinking, well, you know, it just validated my thoughts that living a simple lifestyle for me works. So I feel lucky and fortunate that I don't care what brand of car I drive. In fact, like right now, we were thinking of, well, what if we cut expenses in case, right? With everything that's happening nowadays. And I was like, well, I would gladly turn my car in. I don't care. I don't have anybody. Like I know people personally that are very tied to, oh my goodness, this car. I have to have this car and I have to live in this house in this neighborhood. I don't. Thankfully, you know, I remember once I went on a trip and when I came back, we had recently got my car and I let my husband deal with the whole thing. I just said, I just want this kind of car. That's it. I don't care what brand it is, whatever. And I came back, uh, landed. And when you get in the shuttle in the airport and the guy asks you, what brand is your car? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it's one that has a sticker in the back with a yoga thing. (laughs) People looked at me like I was bananas. You know, I don't know much about cars, (laughs) but I don't know. I didn't know the car that I was driving. So this tells, this is the thing. And I'm not saying this is better. It's just simpler for me because it does not give me that feeling of, you know, if we have to leave the house, if we have to give things up, they really are a thing, you know? And I always felt even when I divorced and, and left and everything, as long as I had my laptop, which is how I make a living. As long as I had Wi-Fi, which back then I was piggybacking off of the neighbor's Wi-Fi because I had no money to pay for it and he had it open, thankfully. Um, You know, and I can make a living, you know, or I could, that was it. My kids, I had my kids and I shared them with my ex-husband. I didn't take 
for me. It was like, how can I make this better for them? You know, it was about, and they remember, my kids remember that time very nicely. They don't, they, they had fun. We didn't have cable. I don't care for that. And, you know, they didn't care. And they had, they just remember it as a fun time. You know, remember when we played with the boxes and remember, they'd had toys, you know, it wasn't like they were completely with nothing. But, but, it, but yeah, it was somehow we found ways, like I found free things to do. Like we would go run in the park. We would go to paint in the park. We, the kids didn't, we didn't have money to buy new sheets. So I bought magic markers at the dollar store and the girls painted their sheets. And I have pictures of all that. And so we made so many memories. Absolutely. The girls came with me dancing and, you know, they had so much fun and, you know, it was it, for them, it was good times. Right. And, and that reminds me, like with my parents, we went through some similar things where there were some really some rough economic times, especially when we lived in Colombia. And even though for my parents, especially my mom, it's painful to think about that time where we didn't have electricity. And it wasn't because of money, but long for short, they had built a house. And it was in an area outside of Bogota where it wasn't as developed. Of course, Colombia is a third world country. So there was no electricity. So we lived with no electricity while the house was being built. And they didn't have enough money to get the electricity as well to move up that way of the pueblo as well. And so that slowed things down. And for her, that's a really tough time. But it was some fun, some exciting times too, living with kerosene lamps and playing the hide and seek at night. So things like that, just the fun memories of it. But it's funny how the perspective is different from my perspective to my mom's perspective. So thanks for sharing that. Now let's talk about today because I've, I'm so excited that you're here, especially today in the times that we're living with the coronavirus. And we're experiencing economic consequences that frankly, we don't know what, where it's going to end up, right? It's, it's really hard to say just because it's not over. It's not over. So with your experience, there are some people currently suffering financially. And so for that person that is listening to this very moment that may be in a similar spot that you were in in 2008, what would you tell her? My goodness, first of all, not to take it personally, because I feel one of the things that I've taken away during coronavirus is that I lead a really simple life that I'm happy with that has not been much affected by what's going on, which is really hard. I'm looking around and I see a lot of, of course, you know, big disruptions. My personal day-to-day is so simple that it has not been disrupted that much. It's more so for my daughter who can't go to school, my husband who's working from home, things like that. My family who's in Madrid on complete lockdown. But other than that, Again, and I feel privileged, of course, because it's, I know this is not the norm. I feel equipped emotionally to deal with this. And from that position is from which I am speaking of, you know, what I'm going to say now, which is, again, to not take it personally, because being laid off in these times or losing your job in these times has nothing to do with you or your capabilities or so it's not you. That's number one. Second, that even before anything we, we were sure of what was going to happen or any of that, I immediately, like the day that I realized, whoa, this is getting real here, I immediately cut down my overheads in my business, immediately, even without knowing whether I was going to lose gigs or not or whatever. It was like my mistake 10 years ago was to try and keep a lifestyle 
that we could really not. So my recommendation would be cut everything you can right now. Don't continue anything. And I mean, because we live in this society where we think we need to have a streaming service. We need to have a car. We need, we don't need all those things. We could live without them perfectly. And we're finding out that we can live without nails and we can live without hairstylists and all that right now because we can. I'm wearing a headband, you know, there's, but of course we can. So the thing is, one thing that helped me a lot when I was going through that very, very tough time where I didn't see the end of that tunnel is to keep a gratitude list. Because sure, there are horrible things happening, but I did not watch the news then. I don't watch it now. Unless, and this might sound selfish, but the thing is that as, as unless it touches my family directly or it affects something that I can do, let's say the organization comes to me and says, could you please talk to your followers online about blah, blah, blah that they could do to improve coronavirus, whatever, I will do that. Then I will pay attention. But if it does not affect anybody I know directly, why am I going to put something in my mind and in my emotions that's going to bring me down and is going to make me depressed and not a functional human being? So in my case, then and now, it was not pay so much attention to the news, focus on what I can change and have a gratitude list constantly, like every day. Uh, back then, sometimes the gratitude list was that the cashier smiled at me and didn't, you know, belittle me for paying with food stamps or, you know, that my kids were healthy or whatever. You know, it's focusing on the positive. Does this mean that I am positive all the time? No, of course not. I have my days where I feel like I'm on top of the world. We got this. This is nothing. We can do this. And then the next 10 minutes later, I'm a mess thinking, oh my goodness, maybe this will never end. What's going to happen? Of course, I'm human. But again, it comes down to simplifying, really simplifying. And thinking for me, in my case anyway, is how can I be of greater service? And this is not like I'm this wonderful person. It's just that it makes me feel better when I can help somebody else. And maybe now it's because I can share my yoga skills online or meditation or whatever, because I live that life. Right. So I'm not saying, oh, I'm a mess. I must try. No, no. Really, this is the life I live. Let me share it with you. Maybe it will help you feel better. I love that. Well, this has been fantastic. And I love that advice. And I love that you shared that you limit how much news you take. Yes, definitely. I mean, I see where you're coming from. But I have experienced when I watch or just even scroll through the news feed, my energy and it just I can't say it ruins my day, but it does have an impact on how I'm feeling, my energy, my focus, everything. And I think that's important, especially now to just, I understand we have to be up to date, but we can get my husband's in the military. So <laughs> if I need a news update, I'm gonna tell you get it from him, if, if it's something that I really need to know, I'm sure he'll tell me. But yeah, no, I think those tips were definitely and just not to take it personally as well, because most important, really, because it's not about and also, even if you're hurting right now, I know that there's talk about how there's not enough help and aids out there for you know people who are in trouble, but at least apply, at least try, go through the steps, do it, try, it's worth it. I remember back then the food stamps thing, I think they make it so difficult so that people will give up, <laughs> honestly. Well, I'm sure. <laughs> but I did it. <laughs> and then you have to requalify. So every three months, I had to go through the whole thing again. 
And so, you know, do it, do it and take the time because it really is worth it. Well, thank you so much, Lorraine, for being with us today, for sharing your story and for being inspiring and for being the mujer that you are, because we definitely need a lot of Latinas like yourself, setting the example and showing everything that you have accomplished and what you're doing. So thank you so much for being you. And I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely. ¿Qué te pareció? Wasn't she absolutely fantastic? I loved her energy and just everything that she shared. She is definitely an open book. She shared everything that she wanted to share and more. And you can connect with her at viva50.com. I will have that link in today's show notes. Again, be sure to connect with her, especially if there's a something, at least one thing that resonated with you about Lorraine. Now, if you are the type of person who has the best intentions when it comes to your money and you are finding yourself, well, tomorrow I'll get to it. And then tomorrow comes and the and you say, well, maybe not today. I'm too busy. I'll get to it tomorrow. And then you really find yourself in that cycle that you say tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow over and over again. Message me, send me a private message, or I should say email at jenhemphill.com. And what I am doing is I'm having a special virtual experience for you where we come together and I facilitate a course of action so you don't procrastinate anymore. Plus, you will have a partner as well where you can have private discussions, cheer each other on, discuss challenges, and so forth. So This will be a group experience where I'll come, I'll teach, you will take, I will give you the to-dos, this is what you're going to do. You take action right then. You're not just going to go on your own in terms of, I teach and I'll say, see you later. No, you are going to take action in our time together, and then you will connect with a like-minded mujer, your partner. It will be fun. It'll be an empowering experience. Again, send me a message over at jen at jenhemphill.com for the details. So make sure you get your slot because it is limited. Now, next week, we will be meeting Sairenis, una mujer who from her family setting up a system in place for the money, they were able to focus on taking care of their son who needed open heart surgery. And to top that off, there were, they didn't have to worry about that income or that month. They didn't have a source of income for that month because they set themselves up for success. They were able to just really focus on their son and how, what peace of mind that is. So you'll hear all about that next week. That is it for today. Eso is todo. I appreciate you joining me. I know you have tons and tons of podcasts to choose from, but you're here and that means a lot. Make sure to check out the show notes at jenhemphill.com to refer to everything about today's show, including where to connect with Lorraine. And I also want to remind you to claim your reina crown now. Tu corona. You don't have to wait. The choice is absolutely in your hands. Don't wait until tomorrow. Becoming the reign of your money can start right now. You've got this. Tu puedes. I'm sending you abrazos through this mic, so I hope you receive it. Also, share with us when you listen to this episode by taking a screenshot or a selfie and tag us 
on your Instagram stories with at Herdinero Matters or also the Herdinero Matters hashtag. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. I will talk to you next Thursday. Ciao.